0: Good morning. The reading this morning is from Colossians 1, verses 3 and 4. Can I please have you rise? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. So it is written. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Joyce. Well, good morning once again. We are looking at the second two verses in the first chapter of Colossians. And uh For the most part, all of our scriptures will be on the screen at the back, but those of you who like to follow along in your Bible or your iPod or your smartphone, let me just uh, get this a little bit closer, then I don't have to yell as loud, not that I have a loud voice anyway. Okay. How's that? Is that better? Okay. Well, we're going to start in the book of John, chapter 16, verses 33. And now, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. But in the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Now, in that chapter of John, Jesus is warning his disciples that by following him, there's going to be some people that get upset. Especially those who were loyal to Caesar and the Roman Empire. And some of these people may come after them and even go so far as to try and kill them. And now if the Son of God himself warns us that there will be persecution and attacks just because we follow him and call him king, then it's probably a good idea that we be prepared. Don't you think? These spiritual and physical attacks of Christian persecution in this world definitely do vary depending on where you live. But none of us should be caught off guard. None of us should be surprised that it's happening. Now, this morning in our study in Colossians, we're going to look at how we can encourage one another through difficult times, through tough times, especially when we're under spiritual attack. So last week, I mentioned that unity and oneness were two priorities here at Thornhill Baptist Church, and that we're going to intentionally pursue them this year, and we want to create an atmosphere of... uh, personal deeper relationships with one another and I talked about how we need to be authentic and how we need to have the courage to be vulnerable to share with one another our brokenness and maybe not with everybody but definitely with a few and I shared a few personal stories of myself um, and we were able to come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is all we need he is enough and in him we find our completeness now, this morning, um, if you look in your bulletin here, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you see that there's always a section on the persecuted church. And this week, we find two brothers in Christ who lost their life because they stood up for Jesus Christ. And they did. there's a tax in Egypt that you have to pay called, uh, well, it's for conquered non-Muslims. And these two Christians refused to pay it. And, of course, they gave their life for standing up for their faith. And I just wanted to make you aware that somebody prayed this morning that persecution in different parts of the world requires that you give your life. And let's be honest, while that attack was physical, you can be sure that it was also very spiritual. And I know that there's times that we kind of separate the two, but we can't because the truth is, whether physical or spiritual, it's always a spiritual attack. The enemy of God and the enemy of our souls, Satan and his demonic influence will do whatever they can to destroy any environment where God is given the glory. And if you want to live for God, you can be sure that you will be attacked. And this physical devastation that these two brothers experienced in Egypt, it's easy for us to point and say, The persecution's happening over there. The persecution's happening over there. And uh, it's a lot harder sometimes to recognize the spiritual attack with each of us. Even here in our small church at Thornhill. Because some of you walked in here today facing attack. Some of you are spiritually or emotionally or physically being attacked by the enemy. Somebody next to you in the pew right now this morning is battling illness. Battling with a death in the family. Battling with trying to keep their family together. Battling to keep their marriage strong. Battling addiction. Some people say my mind is under attack and I feel like I'm constantly anxious and I'm, I'm depressed all the time. I mean, people are just fighting day after day right here in our own church family. And I want to be careful to say that not every problem, every trial that we face has a spiritual element to it necessarily. You know, some people always want to blame the devil did this or Satan did that. And, and you know, sometimes the problems we get into are just because we make poor choices, right? Sometimes we got problems because we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. I understand that. But I also want to point out the truth that the Bible is very clear about the fact that much of what we do go through does have a spiritual origin. It's a spiritual attack. I... I worked a few summers at Camp Caroline and my first Christian mentor was Jim Crozier, who's the executive director out there. And Jim would always turn to to John at chapter 10, verse 10, and he would always tell me that Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, and that Jesus comes that we may have life. And Jim kind of just pointed that out right at the beginning of my spiritual journey as a young man, as a young Christian. Satan has one goal, and that is to destroy everything in your life and mine that reminds him of God. He wants to get rid of anything that even reminds him of the work of God, the person of God, or the grace of God. And when it comes to your life and mine, if you're a follower of Jesus, then that's pretty much everything. Because you've been created in the image of God. You've been saved by the grace of God. And you're being built into the character of God. So every part of your life is going to be under attack. And that's why when we go through the Bible, we see this battle going on and on. And I'm glad that one of the life groups is going through some of Peter's letters. Because Peter puts it like this in his first letter, chapter 5. Be of sober mind. Be on alert. Your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the Apostle Paul even addresses it in his letter at the end of Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about putting on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the strategies of the enemy. Every New Testament writer talks about this spiritual attack and almost every New Testament book mentions. So it's not just all in your mind. It's not just you think, maybe I am in the wrong place at the wrong time, or maybe this just happens to everybody. But trust me, it's been said by Jesus and all the writers that there is a definite attack against your life. And after you find that attack happening day after day, month after month, year after year, here's what begins to happen. You become weary and tired and exhausted, even cynical. And you become anxious or depressed or all of the above. So the question is, how do we encourage each other during these tough times? Last week, we started the book of Colossians. And we learned that the big idea of this letter is, Jesus is all you need. And we learned that this letter was written to the church Because they were in danger of having false teaching about the gospel work its way in amongst them. They were under spiritual attack theologically. And now, some of you might say, well, come on, Freddie, theological attack? I mean, in the broad scheme of things, is that really the worst that we got to worry about? Well, it's a lot worse than you think. In fact, I think it's a huge deal. Because what you believe determines how you act. If you believe the wrong thing, you live the wrong way. Every little thing you or I do flows out of our belief system. Our actions come from what we believe is true and right and good. Theology sets in motion the way we'll live out every single moment of every day of our lives. So yeah, theological attack is coming against them, and it is a big deal. Ron, do you have that video queued up there? You know what, I'm gonna play a clip here
0: is not because we want a good grade on a test, but because what we know about God shapes the way we think and live. What you believe about God's nature, what he is like, what he wants from you, and whether or not you will answer to him, affects every part of your life. Theology matters because if we get it wrong, then our whole life will be wrong. I know the idea of studying God often loves It sounds cold and theoretical as if God were a frog carcass to dissect in a lab or a set of ideas that you memorize like math proofs. But studying God doesn't have to be like that. You can study Him the way you study a sunset that leaves you speechless. You can study Him the way a man studies the wife he passionately loves. Does anyone fault Him for noting her every like and dislike? Is it clinical for him to desire to know the thoughts and longings of her heart, or to want to hear her speak? Knowledge doesn't have to be dry and lifeless. And when you think about it, exactly what is our alternative? Ignorance? Falsehood? We're either building our lives on the reality of what God is truly like and what He's about, or we're basing our lives on our own imagination and misconception. We're all theologians. The question is whether what we know about God is true.
1: Thanks, Ron. Yeah, that's a great little clip of the importance of theology. And we notice that at the Church of Colossae, that's exactly what's happening, is they're having what they believe about the gospel attacked. And Paul not only writes them in order to warn them that this attack is coming, and this is what it looks like, and this is how it's going to impact your life, but he also comes through and he wants to encourage them. And so the Apostle Paul, just a great example for us to follow, every time he writes a letter, you find him encouraging people. Just wanting to love on them a little bit, you know, wanting to let them know that they're in the game together. And things might be a little bit difficult, but it still doesn't mean that God's not in control. So this morning, there would be three different ways that you receive this message. For some of you, Paul's words are going to be what you need to hear because you're in the middle of a spiritual attack right now. And maybe things in your life have been going on to the point where you're about ready to throw in the towel. And you know what? You're saying to yourself, if Jesus hasn't kept me back from this then what's the point of all of this? I feel like I'm about to lose my mind. I don't want this anymore. If that's you, then just know that Paul's got an encouraging word for you that he simply wants you to hear. Stay in the game. Stay in the fight and be encouraged. For some of you, that's going to be your message today. And for others of you, this is what you need to hear for that family member or that friend in in your life that you're getting closer to and they're sharing their tough times with you. And you know the one I'm talking about because these are the type of people or this is the person who's unloading everything and they're sharing that this is what's going on and you listen and your heart is breaking for them in their situation. But the only thing that you seem to be able to offer that comes to your mind week after week is, I'm sorry it's going on and I will be praying for you. But wouldn't it be nice to open up God's word and say, this is a message for you at this time. This is an encouraging word that Paul gave to some others that were under attack. And the third group this morning will receive it this way. You don't know it yet, but God is giving you a gift in advance. He's giving you a word in advance. Now, it's been said that you are either coming out of a tough time, or you are in a tough time, or you're about to go into a tough time. And that's the third group. You don't know it yet. But God is giving you a word, a gift in advance. And that is the last group. You don't know it yet, but the bottom's about to fall out. And God's kind of giving you a word before it does, so that when the bottom does fall out and you're scrambling for truth or higher ground, and you're trying to figure out what's happening in your life, it'll be nice to know that there's already a word spoken to you. So no matter where you are this morning, this passage impacts you. And with that introduction, I want to ask you to follow along with me, and I'm going to read those two verses again. And uh, it's Colossians 1, 3, and 4. Uh, It goes like this. We give thanks to God our Father for our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love which you have for all the saints. Now, right at the beginning... Uh, I shared last week that as we go through this series in Colossians, uh, we're following a teaching series by Paul Godhart, and at the beginning of each message, we have some Bible study techniques that I'm going to share with you that teach us how to understand and how to properly interpret the the Scripture. And this is going to be helpful for you because not only will it help you understand Colossians correctly, but also any other of the 66 books of the Bible. So last week, we went through the first point, and that is that when you study the Scripture, you study it like any other subject. You always move from the general to the specific. And I gave the idea that when you begin with a general understanding of the Bible and you move to specific teachings, you can then get the truth that's in the individual chapters and verses that, of the book that you're studying. And we talked about four general points about the Bible overall, and that is that the Bible is God's word, and that the Bible is true, the Bible is God's revelation of himself to humanity, and then number four, God's word gives us guidance for our lives. And we learned that the overall context of the book was that Jesus is all that we need. We found out that the book was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to the members at the Church of Colossae, and it was a preventative letter. Paul was writing in advance before the false teaching fully worked its way in, and he was warning them, and today we find out that he's also encouraging them so they don't fall in the trap of heretical teaching. We know that he wrote this letter around 60 AD, and it was written with four other letters, Ephesians, Philippians. Colossians and Philemon and it was called the anatomy of Christianity and it taught us that in Christ we are fully sufficient in him we are complete and the letter challenges legalism it challenges those who are becoming too religious and it helps us to get back to Christ-centered Jesus-focused living that's what the entire book of Colossians is about. So today the second principle in studying the Bible is that there is one interpretation, there are many applications. Because how many times have you heard this? Everyone interprets the Bible differently. I interpret it one way, you interpret it this way, but we can both be right. Are you kidding me? Some people actually believe that, but logic just doesn't allow that to happen. There is one way to interpret a letter, and a wrong way to interpret a letter The correct interpretation will always be with the original writer intended for the original audience. That's what the correct interpretation is going to be. And it doesn't matter what book of the Bible that you're studying. All letters that have been written to individual groups or people are written to them specifically. So we need to understand what the writer is saying who he wrote it to, what the context of each letter was, what the purpose was behind it, and even if there's any word plays in the language. If you don't have these pieces of information, it's easy to get off course, and you're on a completely different path than what the original writer intended. That's why we say that there's one interpretation and many applications. And in 2 Peter, we get a glimpse of this, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, from the New Living Translation. Peter writes, Remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments were hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of the scripture. And this will result in their destruction. In other words, you can twist scripture to say whatever you want it to say. You can even twist scripture to the point of having it say something that you don't want it to say. The correct interpretation will always be with the original author intended for the original audience. And I'll share a little bit about that at the end of the message. So, in the context of the Church of Colossae, we found out that they were going through a tough time and they were under spiritual attack in the area of theology. We found out that Paul was writing this letter to warn them, but also to encourage them. So what did he say? How can we encourage each other during tough times? Well, first thing, thank God for what he has done. Verse 3, right at the beginning, it says, We give thanks to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness is a rare commodity in our culture today. We've been blessed with so much. We've been giving so much that thankfulness has almost disappeared. Nowadays in our society, people expect everything. And when we don't get our way, we want to look to God and say, you know, what's up? We expect him to solve all our problems and fill every single need. We expect him to wow us and to bless bless us around every corner. We expect him to do this and do that. And part of that does come from being a child of God. I understand that. But if we're not careful... What has been the grace of God begins to become expected. We move from this attitude of gratitude that we talk about to an attitude of entitlement. We're no longer following or reflecting our Lord Jesus. We've crossed over when grace becomes underwhelming. And if we let entitlement take root, then you and I need to deal with it because it's selfishness and it's sinful. Because grace, by the very nature, is undeserving, unmerited favor. There's nothing you or I could do to earn it. It's a gift from God. God says, I know you don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you anyways. And when we get to the point where we're saying, that's what I deserve, that's what I should get, that's what God should give me, we're already on the side of entitlement. And so Paul begins by thanking God for what he has done. And for praying for the people at Colossae. Did you notice that part in the text? We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you. In other words, we're thanking God, but we're still praying for you. Doesn't sound overly confident, does it? Too encouraging there. But basically, Paul's just praising God and pointing to the one who saved them. Because anybody who enjoys the benefits of salvation does so because of the blessing of God. So if things are going good, it's because of God. When people are standing strong in the middle of difficult circumstances, it's because of God. And when people are experiencing personal victory, it's because of God. The fact that the, there's breath in our lungs and a roof over our head and worship in our heart and praise on our lips, it's, it's not because we're so good, it's because God is so great. So he begins by saying, I just want to start by thanking God, our Father, and I'm praying for you. That's how he begins the letter. How do you encourage people through a tough time? Help them refocus on God. When you're going through difficulties or you're under a spiritual attack, it's easy to develop to develop a woe is me mentality. And for those of you who are familiar with Winnie the Pooh theology, you'll be able to follow this. It's called the Eeyore complex. How is your life?
0: Could be better.
1: What has God been doing?
0: Not enough.
1: What has God been teaching you? Nothing. I mean, it's just like life is so bad. And I know this might not be spiritual, but sometimes the best thing you can do is just give them a kick in the pants and say it's not that bad. I had a professor at Alberta Bible College, and Kevin and Dana were bo- both there with me at the same time. His name was Gary Lapine. And one of the greatest lessons he ever Taught me, uh, had nothing to do with biblical studies, really. He said, You got to have people in your life that love you enough to give you a hug when you need a hug and to give you a kick in the pants when you need a kick in the pants. So sometimes people just need a good kick in the butt to get back on track because, trust me, I know that life is tough. Those of you who were here last week, you heard me share three very difficult stories. But instead of always focusing on everything that's going wrong, why not go back and begin to thank God for the things that are going right? Sometimes that's the first step in the right direction. Encourage them with a good kick in the pants. There you go. So how do you encourage somebody when they're going through a tough time? Number one, you're thanking God for what he's done. And now number two, you identify with them. This is found in the second part of verse 3. Uh, And it's actually one word, and it's used three times in this short section. He uses the word our. In verse 1, he talks about Timothy, our brother. In verse 2, he talks about God, our father. And in verse 3, he talks about Jesus, our Lord. Most of us totally blow right by that, and we miss that. And it, it is very subtle. But at the same time, what he's saying is, we're in this together. And you think about it like this. Uh, Many of you have played or play sports or watch sports and there's a lot of players and a lot of coaches and you watch these coaches on the sidelines or behind the bench and they're encouraging the players, trying to get them pumped up, trying to get them refocused, all those types of things. But think for a moment for yourself. How would you like to be encouraged? If your coach came to you and grabbed everybody together and said, you guys are getting killed out there. Step it up. You need something. Otherwise, you're going to lose the game. Or what if your coach came up to you, pulled you off to the side and said, guys, they're coming after us right now, all right? But I think we're quicker. All we need to do is just get this together, get this ready. We can still do this if we stick together. Which one sounds more encouraging? I played midget AAA hockey in the Max Midget Cup. And it's funny because the year I went, I had a head coach who, uh, <clears throat> who was a lot like a fellow named John Portarella. And I mean, this guy would walk in the dressing room, slam the door shut, kick the sticks over, throw the bucket of hockey pucks, start swearing and get up in your face, and he would let you know when he was upset. But then I had an assistant coach who later on became a head coach, and this coach, his name was Rick Puttick, and he was calm, cool, and collective. He taught me that hockey was just a game, but through hockey, we could learn many great life lessons. And he approached coaching more like a a Dan Balsma or an Alain Vignon. He wanted us to play hard, but he never lost his cool. And which coach do you think actually won gold at the Max Midget Cup? It wasn't the one kicking and screaming and kicking sticks over. It was the one who approached it as identifying with the players. I'm in this together with you guys. And they won gold after I left. (laughs) But... Yeah, I was very happy but very sad. But that quote still has an effect on my life to this day. And both of them challenged me to, you know, engage in the fight and go the extra mile. But the one of them was coming from a position of, you guys better get it done, and I'm behind the bench. And the other one was coming from the part that we're in this together. And that's what we find here when he uses the word our. All throughout it, all throughout the scripture, he's saying... Our brother, our father, our Lord. We're in this together. It's identification. And now as we keep looking at encouraging others through tough times, not only are you thanking God for what he's done, not only are you identifying with them, but the third part is that you pray for them. Verse 3, Paul told them that he and Timothy were always praying for you since we heard, since we heard. I'm going to say that again because there's a very powerful truth here. Since we heard. Praying always for you since we heard. People cannot pray for you if you're unwilling to share your needs with them. It absolutely kills pastors when they hear members of their church say, I want to be involved, but nobody cares. And at the same time, they don't seem to be willing to share or to engage, and they're unwilling to talk. They're unwilling to go when people invite them out. And as a pastor, you want to tell them, just open up. You know, people want to be involved in your life. But if you stay closed down and you're unwilling to engage, people will stop asking for a while. Now, some of you might say to me, Freddie, uh, I've tried to get involved. But nobody opened up to me. Nobody received me. And to that, I rebuke the church. I rebuke myself. Because we need to embrace others. We need to bring people into our circles of influence. So like Ron was sharing this morning, if you're part of a small group or a life group or a community group, whatever it is, some kind of group here at Thornhill Baptist, then I ask you the question, are you growing? As group leaders, are you praying that the Lord will double your size so that you can split and there become two groups? Whenever people ask or invite over and over, and all they hear is no, 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 don't get upset that people stop asking. The way they knew something was going on was because they heard. Somebody opened up and shared, and we know that the someone here in Colossae was Epaphras. He came through sharing the state of his church, but he also shared some things that got Paul and Timothy praying for them. Now think about this for a second. God used the Apostle Paul more than any other person apart from Jesus Christ to impact Christianity. Paul's a big deal in the church. And now this great leader, this teacher, uh, uh, this lover of God, he comes in and he's writing to the church, to this one-horse town church. And... uh, It used to be a thriving city, Colossae, but since then things have moved on. Colossae was one of three cities. There was a trio of cities really close together. One was Heropolis and then Laodicea and Colossae. And Colossae was the smallest of the three. And they really had nothing to offer. It was a has-been town. And yet you find these words from the Apostle Paul saying, Myself and Timothy, were always praying for you since we heard. Wow, the Apostle Paul is praying for us. That has to encourage these people. It has to let them know, man, we're being prayed for by the Apostle Paul. You know how you encourage Christians during tough times? Be there. Ask how things are going. Listen to what they say and pray for them. Let them know that you're praying for them. And that takes us to this last piece, how we encourage each other through a tough time. Encourage them in what is going well. We don't have time to go through all of this this morning, so I will just summarize verses 4 to 8. But this church at Colossae had an impressive reputation, and we're going to dig into it next week. But here's some things that they were known for. I'm going to summarize it up. They were known for their faith in Christ, and they were known for their love for all the saints. They were known for the hope that they had in heaven and how the gospel reached them and constantly bore fruit in their life. They were known for how proficient they were with the gospel, and finally, how they had life in the Spirit. That was their testimony. That was a great reputation for a small church in a small town, hey? Whenever people are going through a difficult circumstance, one of the best things you can ever do to help is go back and encourage them with things that are going well. I know for myself, whenever I'm under spiritual attack, Uh, it's amazing how quick I can forget the things that God's doing in my life right now because I have this laser focus on all the bad things that are happening and all the problems. Well, sometimes it's just good to walk around and go back and remember to think about what is going well. And Paul lists these six different things about them in their reputation that are going really well. They're known for this. God is doing an incredible work among them. Helping them see what's going on well is huge. And I had this given to me this summer, and, and this was the statement. If God allowed you only to keep what you thanked him for today, what would you have left? And so I'm reminded that i got to thank God regularly for many things he's blessed me with, things that are going well. So I, sometimes I just go through a list in my mind, and I just let the Spirit reveal things that I'm thankful for. I thank him for my Savior, for Jesus I thank him for eternal life. I thank him for Debbie. I thank him for our family and our friends, and I even thank him for my kitty cats. I thank him for opportunities where my faith can shine. I thank him for our church, and I thank him for sports. I thank him for the people I get to minister to and with. I thank him for Alberta Bible College. I thank him for my motorbike. Why not? I thank him for the roof over my head and the food in the fridge. For clean tap water and a warm shower. For plumbing and electricity. I thank him for computers and electronics and smartphones. Because they open up great opportunities to share my faith. And I thank him for dependable vehicles and medical care. And the list can just keep going on and on. And, and we just need to be continually thanking God for the many blessings he's given us with. And once you begin to thank God for these things that he's blessed us with, it's amazing how those things begin to become a lot smaller, and the problems start to shrink. It's not that they're not important or that the problems are not there, but in the broad scheme of things, there's just some problems that become so dominant in the moment because we're not seeing them in the perspective of all that God has already done. And part of what Paul was trying to do here in these opening verses is is just to help them see, I'm here with you guys. I'm praying for you. I thank God for what he's done in your life. And I thank God for what is going well around you. And once you get to the end of this part, we'll see next week, you'll begin to see that there's things going on in this church that are going really well. And it's amazing because when a church is fired up for the gospel and things are moving and things are happening, you want to be a part of something like that. And yes, they might be going through a tough time, a spiritual attack on their theology, but it's okay because God's going to give them the victory. And next week we'll see how they can live in light of a tough time. They can still live victoriously. Because sometimes people just put out an excuse that, you know what? If I didn't have all these things happening to me in my life, I'd have a closer walk with God. But you're going to find out that in a tough situation, your context doesn't have to define you. When you're in a right relationship with Jesus, you can go through a tough time. And you still have joy and peace and you shine for Jesus. You can have all the money in the world, all the riches in the world and sleep on a bed of roses. And yet if your relationship with Jesus is not right, it will still stink. All right? Our situation does not need to define us. And that's where we're going to head next Sunday. So how do you encourage others while they're going through a tough time? He thanked God for what he had done. He identified with them, he prayed for them, he encouraged them what was going well. So as we close, I shared at the beginning of the message uh, about Bible study interpretation and that rule number two was that there is one interpretation and there are many applications. I'm going to explain that a little bit. The correct interpretation of what is happening in Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 was this. The church was going through a tough time of spiritual attack and Paul began by encouraging. That's it. There's no secret hidden message, no no extra Bible code revelation. That's it. A church was having a difficult time and and their spiritual, uh, the gospel was being attacked and he begins with a word of encouragement. So what about an application for you and me as we leave here today? We don't live in Colossae. We weren't specifically dealing with false teaching creeping into our church. And we're not faced with the exact same setting. So how does this affect us? By the basic principle that we saw, they were under spiritual attack, and he began by encouraging them. Here's the big idea you can leave here with today. When somebody's going through a tough time, encourage them. Look at your life. What kind of difficulties are people facing all around you? There's spiritual attacks in people's marriages, and the same four things apply. You go through and thank God for what he's done. You identify with them. You pray for them. And you help them to see what God has done and what is going well, no matter what it is. If it's depression or anxiety or whatever it is, these same four points apply. Over and over, when someone is going through a tough time, encouragement is part of what God uses in order to move them ahead and stay on course and bring them through it on the right path. That's what I'm saying. There's one interpretation, but there can be many applications. There's so many different ways that this scripture can apply to our lives. And that's where we're going to finish this morning, and that's where we're going to head next week. We'll see how we can live victoriously through a tough time. So let's quiet our hearts, and and, and I'll close in a word of prayer um, before we finish the service. Father, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, whom which we have access. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who works inside of us to guide us and to reveal truth to us. I thank you for the time here this morning. I thank you for what we can learn from your word. And thank you for helping us to grasp this text. And we lift up those who are going through a tough time right now. You know them, and you know what the Holy Spirit needs to reveal to them. And, and, and God, thank you for moving in our lives. We're grateful for all that you do. And we thank you that we're not alone and that no matter what we may be going through, we have Jesus. And that's enough for me. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.